Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Wiser Financial Advisor Show with Josh Nelson, where we get real, we get honest, and we get clear about the financial world and your money. This is Josh Nelson, founder and CEO of Keystone Financial Services. Let the financial fun begin. Recently, I had the opportunity to sit down with Ann Barron, the founder and cheerleader at Northern Colorado Community, a business that enables other businesses to grow and connect. Ann is also the author of Soul Girl, an autobiography about her story uh, growing up and being brought to America as she was adopted and brought into another family here. It's a significant tale and really tells us about not only her life, but also the passion that she brings to what she's doing today. I think you're going to really enjoy that. We talk about a lot of different stuff about life, about business, and again, more than anything about building community at whatever stage of life you're in, whether you're a business owner or still in your professional career, or maybe you're retired. Maybe you're trying to rebuild a sense of community. It's really significant, and I think you're going to enjoy that part of the conversation. But first, this episode is brought to you by Keystone Financial Services, a top wealth management firm based in the land of love, Loveland, Colorado. And at Keystone Financial Services, we are here to provide unbiased advice and guidance. Our goal is to replace uncertainty with confidence and clarity when it comes to planning for your family's financial future. Take the guesswork out of your financial future today. Schedule a free initial conversation with one of our certified financial planners. Visit keystonefinancial.com. That's keystonefinancial.com. I think you're going to love our conversation. Have a great week and God bless. All right. Welcome to the Wiser Financial Advisor, Ann Barron. Uh, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. So you and I have known each other for a while, and you've got a lot of interesting stories as far as uh, where you've worked and uh, where you've lived and kind of life experiences. So first of all, I, I think people would be really interested to know a bit about your background and where you've come on your journey up until now. Yeah, um, I've had a large variety of type of jobs, everything from being a public school teacher, working in the insurance industry for about 20 years, including being an insurance agent, supervising employees at State Farm, working in the chamber world, helping with nonprofits, and then more recently with Northern Colorado Community, which I started over five years ago. And so you are the, the founder and uh, also the cheerleader at Northern Colorado Community. That's how you and I met each other. And that's grown like crazy. So you started the organization. What was it originally that made you think about, hey, I, I want to start this and, and make this be a thing? I would say primarily, I, I love to connect businesses to one another, especially small businesses. I have that passion to be the resource and that connector to see businesses grow and thrive. And one example is one of the members that is a part of the group and also a friend. They have already doubled their income this year because of great connections and referrals to them for business that uh, they could do with this member. And I really like those type of success stories of where I really see the impact of businesses really growing and actually adding to their income because they're a part of the group. And you're just a very good connector. Um, and you've helped me out on a number of occasions, uh, connecting me with people and I've sent you people and so forth. Uh, how did you get that passion for doing that? Like, what, what is it? Uh, because I think a lot of people are intimidated by that and, and they don't maybe know how to do that naturally. What was it that do you think in your background led to that passion for connecting people? I would say my dad was probably a great example. So my dad was an insurance agent with State Farm Insurance for 31 years. He started totally from scratch, which means he had to go out and knock on doors and visit businesses. 
And he built a very successful business to where he supported a family of six on one income. And I really looked up to him. That was not easy to do. He was not naturally a salesperson, but he really knew his clients and became friends with a lot of them and was also very um, great at service. And we would answer the phone morning, noon, and night. He would use his home phone as an emergency number, and we would get phone calls at home on the weekends and evenings. So my dad was very service-oriented and seeing that example. And you've done that in a number of different places because you haven't lived here your whole life, right? You've actually moved several times, you and your husband, Mike. So what was it when you go into a new community like Northern Colorado, what was it that you did you know, to start establishing those connections and building the community where really now a lot of people know you and you know a lot of other people. And sometimes I bring that up too, because sometimes I think, uh, especially a lot of our clients are kind of nearing that time where they're going to be leaving their professional world. And for a lot of people and myself included, that's a lot of my connections. That's a lot of my community is the people that I work with on a day-to-day basis. So in some cases, people have to reestablish that community, right? Um, So whether it's leaving work or leaving school or uh, going into a new community, uh, tell me about that. What's the best way to do that? And how have you been successful at them? I've really been connected in the business world for about 15 or 20 years, involved with different networking organizations and also helped with nonprofits and have helped with fundraising for nonprofits. But I said, whether you're graduating from college, you're retiring, really look at what you're excited about and what you have a passion and interest in. So for instance, people may be, they want to help with Meals on Wheels and they really enjoy getting out and meeting folks and helping being part of the community. Perhaps with graduates, maybe look at a nonprofit you can help. Maybe you can be an intern someplace and get experience and learn about a business, but really look at what you're excited about and then get plugged in. And there's so many with with social media the way it is. I mean, Facebook has a lot of events and groups. There's meetup.com, which has a lot of groups based on your interests. So basically get plugged into what you're interested in, and then that will just keep your life interesting and exciting. Yeah. And and again, both you and your husband, Mike, are are pretty plugged in and have a lot of different places like that, right? As far as meetup, a lot of different organizations. What do you think some attributes of somebody who uh, really would be good at putting themselves out there? Right. And that's a great question. So there, as you know, there's two types of people. There's the extroverts and the introverts, which you probably already know I'm way on the extrovert. So it's <laughs> pretty easy for me to go up and talk to a stranger. Or if I meet people in a group or a networking situation to introduce myself. But what I say to the introverts, because they, they say, I really don't feel comfortable going up to a stranger and talking to them. But sometimes it may be just an observation. You may see another person that isn't talking to anyone as well. And you may just go over and say, hey, how did you hear about this group? Or are you a native to Colorado? You know, just kind of a little general question to get the conversation going. And that then takes the focus off yourself because sometimes introverts are thinking, no one wants to talk to me. I'm uncomfortable. I'm shy. This is awkward. But if you start putting the focus on the other person, then you're not going to be thinking about how you're feeling. And then it would hopefully just make it a little easier. Yeah, I think uh, that's a good observation because then that takes the pressure off. They're the one doing the talking and most people like talking about themselves and their stories. So yeah, that works out well. Exactly. What's your passion behind it? What gets you fired up in the morning to get up and do what you do? 
Well, one of the things is I really do love meeting new business people. I, I enjoy hearing their story or not really story. That doesn't sound right, but their background of how they got to where they're at in the career and what brought them to that point, whether they're working for someone else or they've started their own business. I always find that's really interesting. And then it's just probably just my personality. I just thrive on being around people and mixing and mingling, but not just to meet people, but also how it can be effective and actually proactive in helping their business thrive and get stronger and better. And then you feel like you're giving back and it's actually what you're doing is not just a wasted day, but you're actually helping people's lives become better. Sure. But I know that you're a genuine person and and you really do care about people's stories. You know, as we've had conversations, it definitely comes across that you genuinely are interested in helping people. And you've got an interesting story yourself. So you, you actually uh, got to write a book this last year, Soul Girl. You had to overcome a lot of adversity from a very, very young age without spoiling it too much. So tell us a little bit about your story. Uh, I was born in South Korea and I was adopted when I was four years old and then raised in Oregon. And a little bit, the story is about lessons learned, whether in work or life, like, you know, choosing who to marry or friends, and also career tips, what to do, what not to do. But also another aspect is maybe a little perspective on what it's like growing up in mainly a Caucasian or a white community and not being Caucasian or a white person myself. I don't look at it as a victim mentality. I don't look at it as poor me. I just look at it, oh, it's just another perspective. And maybe people can learn and be more aware. It's the first book I wrote, probably going to be the last one. Oh. But, <laughs> well, but yeah, tell, uh, tell me about that. Because it, it, that, it, to me, that seems a little bit intimidating. I think everybody kind of has a story right in their head, uh, but it rarely makes it onto paper. So what really did you do? And what was the inspiration to actually saying, I'm going to do this? And, and how did you go about it? I would say, well, first of all, I'm one of those people, if I say I'm going to do something, I will do it. Mm -hmm. So my goal was to write the autobiography by my 60th birthday, which was actually about two years ago. Did not make it for my 60th birthday, but I made it by my 61st birthday. And it was actually kind of cathartic or kind of, um, I don't know, I think it kind of helped me to think through things like, what was lessons learned as well as what would I not do again and just choices made. And my husband is a writer. He's a professional writer. So he was obviously my editor. And I guess I was mainly more for myself, I have to say, but it did publish. I did a um, Indiegogo crowdfunding, as you know, and then printed the book locally. And all the books basically that I printed are, are sold. And then that was on an Amazon platform or Barnes and Noble. Yeah. But hopefully the reason to get the book out in print is perhaps other people who feel like they don't fit quite in, into society's norms to kind of understand and kind of help them maybe relate. And the other thing is hopefully inspirational, say, hey, there's sometimes choices are made that aren't great. Sometimes things happen in your life that's not great, but you can still be an overcomer. I don't consider myself a minority, but I guess I am. But you would say, you know, maybe in a minority type of grouping and, you know, just how to deal with it and be an overcomer and don't let that get you down. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's beautiful, too, that you uh, not only wrote it for you, but it was also written in a way that it was trying to help other people, right, that could be inspired by your story. And it's called Soul Girl and, and on Amazon and Barnes & Noble, right, if, if people want to pick up a copy. Exactly. And a friend of ours, uh, Jeff Earls, he formatted the cover and the book for us because 
I'm not a techie person. So that's the other thing is don't think that you have to know everything about the publishing. If you need someone to help you with formatting, doing a cover for the book, you may have to pay someone. You may have to pay someone to edit. The other thing is if you need to figure out how to unload it, I mean, upload it to publishing platforms like Amazon is the most common one. Mm -hmm. Maybe you need to just have someone help you with that. There are people who know how to do it and they will help you with that. So don't think you have to know every step of the process as well. Yeah, there's never been more resources either. Uh, I'm, you're one of the many people that I know who have self-published and uh, and this isn't an Amazon commercial, but I, I think, right, I mean, your book on there, it's a print on demand, in other words. So if I order a copy on there, boom, you know, it gets printed. So there's not some massive investment. Yeah, that is true. It, it is. That is one thing nice about the technology is that you can self-publish for basically very little money, especially if you can do every step of the process yourself. Um, I did print the books locally because I did want to support a local family-owned business in town. It was Probably, honestly, the printing cost was triple what it would be if I went through Amazon printing. But again, I really strongly believe in supporting local businesses. And that's why I went through a local printer on the first run. Yeah. So you've had a lot of different successful uh, roles, you know, in, in your uh, in your life, your career. And, uh, you know, I, I think you speak to some of this in your book, but how would you say uh, in picking kind of a random failure, maybe a favorite failure that you have? Because I think a lot of people look at failure as being a, a negative thing. How did that set you up for later success? Well, I would say one that probably had the biggest in a negative way, but later on a positive effect was I had worked at State Farm on the corporate side, very cushy job, great benefits. And then I tried to go out on my own to do my own business. Mm -hmm. It failed miserably. I mean, we're talking to the point where I owned a house, I had two cars paid off, went to Hawaii every year to where everything I owned was in a VW Beetle. Mm. It was that bad of a failure. But the positive out of it was my mom was very ill from Alzheimer's and she was deteriorating very quickly. So I had nothing to tie me down. What are some bad recommendations that you oftentimes hear that people should just ignore? I would say the biggest one is just to take a job for the money. Don't do that because you're just going to be miserable and you're going to be that, you know, square peg in a round hole. And and basically life is more than money. You have to have a job to support yourself. And I understand that. But look at the areas where you, you can support yourself, but you can also enjoy what you're doing because- a lot of people, their work is so many hours. I mean, it's the majority of the hours in mm-hmm. their day. So if you're not enjoying what you're doing, then you're miserable. The other thing, too, is look around and maybe just take that leap of faith and try things that you may think you are not even qualified for, but you would really enjoy doing. So the example was I worked for a local chamber doing membership sales and advertising sales, and I had no background in that area. But anyway, sometimes just don't always look at what seems logical that, oh, I have this background and experience and education. This would not be something they would ever hire me for or I should be hired for this job. So sometimes you just have to take that risk, too. Yeah, we work with a lot of people in the wealth management industry. We work with a lot of people and hear their stories. We're kind of in a unique role because everything we talk about with people is confidential. And oftentimes we do find that people are doing something that's unfulfilling. I think the toughest ones are actually when they've got the golden handcuffs, right? That they're in a business or a profession where they feel like they just can't leave because it would be too costly financially. Uh, But we've seen some amazing stories from people who have taken that leap of faith and made major shifts in, in some cases 
uh, for example, left engineering and moved into the financial industry or moved into uh, medical industry. One in particular, uh, it was an engineer, very successful and decided that was not for him. And I went back to medical school and became a surgeon. Um, so uh, yeah, obviously a, a huge, huge shift. I think that's well said that people need to follow what they're really interested in and passionate about, and they can figure out the details later. Yeah, ex exactly. And the other thing I would say, the other lesson learned from the failure of trying to jump into my own business too early is that you really need to count the cost. You really need to make sure you have that, what, six months to 12 months of resources of savings to back yourself up in case things don't go the way you're going to, or a lot of times businesses uh, cost more than you think it's going to to start. So do look out, especially if you've got family that you're supporting. I mean, it was just me, but still, if you've got kids and a spouse that you're trying to support on your income, you, you do want to look at, okay, well, if this goes this way, what can I do? Or what are the alternatives? Or where are the resources? Can you take a home equity loan? Are you just living on savings, you know, credit cards, whatever. So you kind of have to look at counting that cost too, especially if you've got a lot of people relying on you for your income. What advice would you give to a smart, driven college student that's about to enter the real world? If you don't really know exactly what job you're going to go into, I would say one of the things is ask different companies that you may be interested in working for them to see if you can shadow or interview someone that works there and get an idea. What's the pros? What's the cons? What's the company atmosphere? How do they treat employees? Would, is it a job you would continue for 20 years or five or 10 years? So just go out there and ask to shadow jobs or talk to other business people who are in different industries that you may be interested in and basically do an interview with them to find out what do they like? What would they do different? So sometimes it, it might be really successful, but maybe it's not the fit for them. Yeah, in some cases, uh, side hustles actually end up becoming businesses, right, or end up uh, generating uh, more income. My dad was that actually he was a public school teacher for 38 years, but he had a side hustle because uh, he, you know, he wanted to, obviously, you could survive on a teacher's salary, but probably not a lot of extras, right, travel, things like that. So he right. started uh, working as a side hustle with an animal feed company. This is back in Iowa. And he actually did that side hustle for almost 50 years and uh, ended up making way more money at the side hustle than he ever did teaching. But, you know, kind of back to that playing it safe versus taking risk, he actually did some of both, right? He took the safe route and got the teacher's pension and the benefits and everything, but was, uh, was also able to take risk. Oh, yeah. And that is a good point. So uh, one of the members, um, she's a yoga teacher, but one of the things that someone who was, I don't know, you say mentoring or coaching her had said is instead of just going out and just trying to do the yoga by yourself and not having another job, like, so to speak, day job on their side, it puts a lot of pressure on you that you got to get all these clients and get these classes filled up. But if you have that other little bit of a job on the side that's bringing an income, then there's less stress on you. So there isn't any problem with doing that because you might have to have another regular day job to support your side hustle or your passion while you're building and growing it. Yeah. As we wrap up here, I always want to make sure that people know how to find you. So yeah, so with Northern Colorado Community, it's the website, northerncoloradocommunity.com. I do have a Facebook page by the same name. And then the, the uh, book is Soul Girl, S-E-O-U-L, Girl, and it's on Amazon. And yeah, it's also Meetup. So 
a lot of people know about meetup.com. I do have my events on there as well. Yeah, Great. very good. Well, yep. thanks so much for your time. I appreciate you, uh, you know, sharing with us. And again, you truly are, are an inspiration, uh, beautiful story. And thank you for sharing them. Thank you, Josh. I had fun. And thank you for inviting me on the podcast. I enjoyed it. This episode has been prepared for informational purposes only and is not intended to provide and should not be relied upon for tax, legal, or accounting advice. You should consult your own tax, legal, and accounting advisors. Investment advisory services offered through Keystone Financial Services and SEC Registered Investment Advisor.